Hello, and welcome to the prologue episode of Medieval Death Trip, the podcast where we explore the wit and weirdness of medieval texts. I'm your host, Patrick Lane, and I'm excited to bring you episode zero of this podcast. Uh, Not episode one, but a prologue to episode one. Um, Well, a prologue to the entire series, really. So the purpose of this prologue is to give you the mission statement for the show uh, and to explain what it is I'm trying to do and why. So let's start with a basic description of Medieval Death Trip. The idea is that each episode will present a selection from a medieval text, uh, in translation of course, and then provide some relevant and hopefully interesting commentary on that text. What I want to do with this format is give the text a chance to speak for itself, uh, for a few minutes at least. It's rare enough for most of us to encounter these texts at all outside of an academic context, and when we do, it's usually as sound bites on history podcasts or in documentaries or as little extracts in history books. You very seldom get full paragraphs, much less pages, of primary source. And I think that's kind of a shame. Chopped up, paraphrased, bracketed off, these are sad ways to experience these narratives. And it's very hard to get a good sense of the minds and mentalities at work behind them when you get them in that kind of form. You also miss out on a lot of their actual aesthetic qualities. These texts can be entertaining and even beautiful in their own ways, Um, or at least that's something I'll be trying to make a case for as we go along, Uh, though no doubt some texts will make that more difficult for me than others. The name of this podcast is a tribute to Michael Lessie's book, Wisconsin Death Trip. This book had a huge impact on me as an undergraduate in the 90s. I don't exactly recall... Uh, how I first discovered it. Um, There was a film adaptation that came out in 1999, and I probably learned about it through the reviews that came out around then. One of those reviews, uh, which I know I most certainly read, uh, was from the AV Club's Keith Phipps, who described Wisconsin Death Trip as, quote, probably the only doctoral thesis with a cult following, end quote. Now, how can you resist a description like that? That is humanities nerd catnip. Um, no, that's humanities nerd crack. Anyway, as indicated by that quotation, Wisconsin Death Trip began as Lessie's doctoral dissertation and was published in 1973. The book is decidedly unconventional as a work of scholarship. The only academic material in it is a relatively brief introductory essay. The rest of the book combines excerpts from a variety of print sources and records from the town of Black River Falls, Wisconsin in the late 19th century, along with photographs recovered from a local photographer's studio. What Lessie did as he combed through the town's newspaper and other sources was pull out items that pointed to the strange, to the gruesome and grotesque. Items, in other words, that hint at the anxieties, both manifest and latent, that roiled under the surface of late Victorian Midwestern life. We have murders, epidemics and madness, armies of tramps, bank and business failures, as well as surprisingly matter-of-fact notices of lake monster sightings. The cumulative effect of reading this stream of startling incident is to convey a kind of communal psychology without Lessie having to step in as a scholar and explain the connections for you. It's a form of argument by montage. I wouldn't blame anyone who deemed it to be insufficiently scholarly, Uh, And it's no surprise that one doesn't find very many death trip style dissertations out there these days. But it absolutely compels you to engage with the material with a richness that more conventional scholarly surveys all too often fail to deliver. 
Here are a few examples uh, of some items from the book to give you a sense of what the thing is like. Aristide Griffel, known as Frenchie, was arrested at La Crosse in the act of firing a barn on the north side. He confessed to a multiplicity of incendiary fires that have occurred in North La Crosse during the past two years. At least 50 fires can be laid at his door. Griffel had a mania for excitement, and this kind suited him best. He had always been the first at the fires, and took great interest in the work of putting them out. At home, he would keep the alarm clock continually ringing. A wild man was captured in the woods 50 miles north of Chippewa and placed in the county jail there. He is 60 years of age and has lost nearly all resemblance to a human being. His hair and beard are two feet long, and his raiment consists of a solitary gunny sack wrapped around his body, and on his head a coonskin cap. It is impossible to hold conversation with him as he has lost all knowledge of speech. This strange creature has been seen many times for the past ten years by land hunters and is a hermit. A horrible murder was committed in the town of Melrose on the old Marshall farm near North Bend on Tuesday afternoon. The perpetrator was George Palmer, between 17 and 18 years of age. The victim was Hazel, the little four-year-old daughter of Oscar Marshall. The murderer seems young for his age and would not be taken to be over 14. He had recently been adopted by Mrs. Marshall from the state school for dependent children. The murderer was found lying on the sawdust in the ice house, apparently unconscious, with the smell of carbolic acid about. He said that he had taken the poison because he had killed the girl. The murderer made a statement to the authorities saying that he had always been well used by the Marshall family and had nothing against them. He said he thought a good deal of the child and did not kill her out of any spirit of revenge, but it had been in his head all day that he ought to kill the girl and her mother, and he could not be satisfied till he had gone at it. It seems that he took the child to the barn and struck her on the head with an axe. It was thought that the taking of poison was only a sham, but he is now reported in serious condition. The man's father is an inmate of the Oshkosh Insane Asylum. The general belief is that the malady has cropped out in the boy. Henry Ellers, a Milwaukee butcher, died from nosebleed. His nose had been bleeding for nine days. He was 37 years old and had been a great meat eater. Red Cedar Lake, near Fort Atkinson, is again agitated by a monster who has lain dormant through the cold months. William Ward lost five sheep by the visit of the serpent. Their bodies were found in the mud, partly devoured. So that's just a tiny sampling of the kinds of items you'll find in the book. Uh, I should also mention that there is a film adaptation of Wisconsin Death Trip by the documentarian James Marsh, who's now probably better known for the Academy Award-winning Man on Wire. Um, I find that documentary to be quite good, uh, though it can only present the tiniest sliver of what's in the book. Um, nonetheless, I think it captures the feel of the book surprisingly well. Anyway, that's Wisconsin Death Trip. Uh, now what about Medieval Death Trip? Uh, my plans here at the start, uh, subject to change and evolution, of course, um, are for episodes to have a fairly fixed format. Each one will begin with a fairly brief introduction, then I'll read a short excerpt from a medieval text, and after that, offer commentary on the text. So, rhetoricians, it's basically a sermon format. Um, you get a prologue, an exemplum, and then an analysis of that exemplum. My intent right now is to be uh, deliberately loose with the commentary. Sometimes it might be a bit more historical and academic. 
sometimes more of a meditation on a particular image or idea. Uh, sometimes it might even be a bit personal and memoirish, um, though I don't want to be overindulgent in that vein. Uh, but the main thing is to maintain some variety in the commentary, uh, at least until we sort out what works well and what doesn't. As for the texts, uh, presently the nature of the texts is determined by what I've read. Um, in other words, what's interested me. I'm very interested in monastic chronicles, uh, somewhat less so in courtly chronicles. Um, so I have a lot of material already gathered together from those and related saints' lives and such. Uh, most of what I've studied is based in England, so many of these texts will be English. Uh, I am certainly interested in expanding my horizons, um, but I just wanted you to know that my stockpile right now is going to be mostly British material. Um, my interests also skew earlier rather than later, so there will likely be a stronger representation of texts from the 10th through the 13th centuries, uh, but I'm certainly not going to ignore the later medieval material. It's also possible we might dip into some late classical texts, uh, particularly if they're significant for later medieval culture. I also intend to stick largely to historical sources rather than fictional literature. Uh, Wisconsin Death Trip does itself quote from regional novels uh, amongst its newspaper clippings and asylum records. Um, so there's precedent there in our namesake for using fiction. Um, and, you know, of course, even in the present day, the line between historiography and fiction can be blurry. And in the Middle Ages, it's less of a line and more of a huge smear across the entire chart that you've written those two words on. Uh, I'm generally going to be selecting texts, though, that present a certain degree of verisimilitude, you know, that at least make a pretense of reporting things that actually happened. Um, but I'm not ruling out the occasional fable or lyric poem or episode from chivalric romance. The last tentative criterion is that I'm more interested in presenting text that even someone taking an undergraduate course in medieval literature would be unlikely to encounter. Uh, I'm not ruling out hitting a few famous episodes, but generally, if the text is available in a trade paperback Penguin edition, uh, then I'll be slightly less inclined to cover it here. In general, I'd like to get off the beaten path. Uh, not that there is much of a beaten path um, in medieval literature as far as most 21st century readers are concerned. Anyway, that is our path ahead. Um, but before we get fully underway... I'd like to address one more thing that matters a great deal to a very small group of people, uh, but it cuts to the heart of this project, and some of those people may well be my listeners. One of the laments you often hear from medievalists, uh, that is, scholars who study the culture and history of the Middle Ages, is that the Middle Ages have been rather unfairly represented in most modern culture as fundamentally grotesque. One version of this academic narrative puts the blame squarely on Renaissance and Enlightenment scholars who, in order to champion the humanism and rationalism of their chosen areas, emphasized all that was irrational and superstitious and inhumanly cruel uh, in the previous era. After all, in order to have an Enlightenment, you have to have started out in the dark. Hence the term, Dark Ages, uh, a term that's been deprecated, at least among medievalists, um, of course, even then, we're still saddled with the bias inherent in our own defining label, medieval, uh, literally Middle Ages, a period defined as falling between two other ages 
uh, that each deserve their own names, the classical and the modern, and we're just the stuff in the middle. Uh, So all of that is just to say that medievalists are rather sensitive to depictions of the Middle Ages as a grotesque mire of gruesome torture, fantastical and fanatical beliefs, and cultural and political insanity. We've had quite enough of that, and it's time to bring balance to the general perception of what medieval means, uh, to try to rectify the assumptions that lead pop culture to describe the use of egregious physical brutality as, quote, going medieval upon someone or something. It would seem, then, that a project called Medieval Death Trip must be thoroughly in the enemy camp, contributing to the already very successful stereotyping of the Middle Ages as a site for historical rubbernecking along the lines of, look how crazy slash gross slash monstrous people were back then. I have two responses to this. The first is to kind of shrug sheepishly, um, but I think this is a common dilemma especially among people who teach medieval literature. We can be high-minded about the prejudices and biases against the Middle Ages that exist, genuinely desiring to help our students see past them and to see the commonalities we share with medieval people rather than getting stuck on the differences. But I've talked to a good number of other readers and teachers of medieval lit, and it's clear that one of the things we love about this literature is that vein of weirdness that runs through it, and we delight in sharing that with our students. We'll teach the Parsons' tale, sometimes, but we get excited by the Miller's tale. We'll teach Julian of Norwich for the beauty and theology, but I think most of us look forward to sharing the excesses of Marjorie Kemp a little bit more. And certainly, to try to downplay that streak of the grotesque is as much a distortion as downplaying its opposite. Medieval people certainly loved the grotesque and the weird and the shocking, too, and quite deliberately incorporated those things into their art uh, and included it in their histories. And that's something we have in common with them, not something that sets us apart. But I think there is a difference between enjoying the grotesque and fetishizing it. And that brings me to my second response. Uh, Yes, this is a project that chooses to focus on episodes and images from the Middle Ages that are surprising, sometimes shocking, and often grotesque from a modern perspective. But it is my goal to consider these moments with more depth than just, look how crazy those olden times people were. I hope that as we move through some of these texts, uh, we'll grow to recognize the complex human responses to the world that they demonstrate, rather than only seeing examples of stereotypical medieval ignorance or superstitiousness or barbarism. If you just read a few selections from Wisconsin Death Trip you know, like the ones I just read, it's very easy to take it as little more than a diversion, uh, a bit of light entertainment, a cousin to the news of the weird column that you might find in your newspaper or alternative weekly. But if you sit down in earnest and read the book, you come to see past the novelty and begin to recognize the patterns and themes, the obsessions and anxieties that are threaded through some of these otherwise fragmentary curiosities. And I hope over the course of the podcast to tug on and trace similar sorts of threads through a collection of stories that also have the benefit of being a bit strange and startling and curious. And that's all I have to say about that for now. Um, So those of you who are not particularly interested in the identity crisis of medieval studies, uh, you can unroll your eyes back down into a more comfortable position and join us on this journey. I'm posting the first real episode uh, right alongside this prologue. Uh, That means you can go and download it now if you haven't already. 
and we'll begin.